Today, we're diving into the creator economy and a new way for creators to raise capital. Creators and influencers are now building massive media empires revolving around their brands. They're launching multiple YouTube channels, podcasts, TikToks, and many are even launching their own independent businesses. We've seen Mr. Beast launch Beast Burger with now over a thousand locations. Graham Stephan and Emma Chamberlain both launched their own standalone coffee brands, Bankroll Coffee and Chamberlain Coffee. But the issue is that it can all start to cost a lot of money to launch a real business, or even produce a podcast or scale your media team. For example, we hired a producer for the podcast you're listening to right now. Our guest today is building a platform called Super. They are backed by the incredible On Deck Ventures, a venture accelerator that has helped over 650 companies raise over $900 million. Super is an automated fundraising tool that allows creators to collect investments from super fans, friends, family, managers, and even real investors. I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm your co-host, Nick. Welcome back to Founder Framework. We break down the success of distinguished entrepreneurs to uncover how you can replicate their success. Here, you'll receive actionable insights that will guide you to your dream business, project, and lifestyle. Now, let's get into the podcast. Uh, welcome, Dylan, to the podcast. Super excited to have you and to talk a lot more about Super and learn what it's all about. Um, so welcome. Yeah, thank you. It was uh I guess it was uh, an interesting journey here. Uh, you know, I was just shit posting on the drop uh, chat room and then I <laughs> managed to meet Matt. So I'm glad to actually sit down and have a conversation. Yeah, we actually, Dylan and I, we met online at a virtual conference for creators and I saw him like, he was there for like nine hours through the entire conference. I was like, this guy <laughs> is working super hard for some reason and I want to know like why. So, so then I looked into super and it was super interesting like no pun intended um but how did the idea for super come about yeah so uh it it was a, a decently long journey uh but i guess the time frame kind of depends on how you look at it um my co-founders and i uh my co-founders are Nia and jacob and we were previously working on an isa venture in uh higher ed for you for who for you guys who don't know what an isa is it's a, essentially an acronym that stands for income share agreements, and it's an alternative to loans. So, you know, uh, what it essentially allows you to do is like you as a student, you can get a university or an investor to invest or just front your tuition uh, for a percent share of your income post-grad. And it's like this type of financing mechanism was like appealing to us because we felt that it kind of aligns everyone's incentives towards, um, you know, students, a student success. So, you know, the higher paying job a student can get post-graduation, uh, you know, the more the university is rewarded and also the um, investors rewarded. So everybody has kind of like skin in the game to help the students succeed uh, throughout college. And, uh, you know, this is, we think is a better um, financing mechanism than loans because typically when you get a loan and go to college, you're just kind of like left to your own devices. The, you know, the, the school doesn't really care about you as long as they get the money. Um, so we tried to like operate in this space, um, but after talking to a bunch of the, the ISA, uh, the big ISA company CEOs, we kind of realized that higher ed was just like a terrible industry to operate in. It's just like filled with politics. And then you're also like essentially competing against federal loans, which are, you know, subsidized by the government. So, uh, when you don't like control the monetary policy or anything like that, it's kind of hard to compete <laughs> as a private entity. Um, but you know, even, even so we still love the idea of economic alignments, uh, via investing, um, because we kind of like, you know, that everybody is on the same boat to help 
everybody win type mentality, you know, mm-hmm. like the we all going to make it type mentality. Um, but, you know, so so we, we like the idea of economic alignment. We didn't want to operate in higher ed anymore. So we were like, OK, where should we go to to, you know, implement these ideas of investing or just like retail investing in general? Um, and, you know, we'd all me and my co-founders had all been big fans of creators growing up. Like we didn't watch TV. We just like watch YouTube and stuff like that. And then also my co-founder, Niet, our CTO went to UCLA. So he was like kind of in the environments where a lot of people are just filming and it was like a regular occurrence. So we were pretty like familiar with the space. You know, we weren't creators ourselves though. So that's uh, one thing that we did not have going for us, but we realized that like the creator economy in general could just benefit from community investments or just like a community investment mechanism, you know, for both solving this like initial money problem of starting a venture, starting a business, but then also just like aligning their community to, to help them win. And like from that thesis, we kind of just started talking to creators and then building super and, you know, ended up where we're at today. All right. So if we were to backtrack a little bit, uh, you know, you graduated from Cornell with an education in chemical engineering. How did you transition from that into pursuing more of an entrepreneurial role and becoming ultimately becoming a COO of a startup? Yeah. So it's uh, my journey has been kind of crazy and it's it's not it's not a traditional journey, I think, in any sense. So I came from like an immigrant, an immigrant family, um, you know, always taught that like schooling and education was very important growing up but you know uh have you guys heard of the term the teleology of something something i learned from peter teal no i haven't (laughs) so like the teleology like teal talks about this a lot but the teleology is like it's almost like the the means to an end so it's like the reason to for you to do something towards some kind of end right so he talks a lot about like the teleology of school um, where the teleology of school, the schooling systems, like been very clear in my family, where it's, where it's like, you know, you want to try to go to an Ivy league school. That's like the only thing, that's like the only reason why you go to school. And like the assumption that they made was like, if you get in life would like kind of take care of itself afterwards. Right. Um, but like for me, like the further I progressed in like the schooling system, the less convinced I became that like that was going to be the case. So like, you know, the purpose of going to middle school is like to get into high school. And then the purpose of, you know, going to high school is to get into college. But then once you get into college, like, then what? Right. The, like, I think like generally you get into college and then you just work a nine to five and you take a vacation twice a year. And I was like, I wasn't really like convinced uh, why I should put any effort into, into doing that, into like getting a nine to five post-graduation. It's like you get a nine to five that's like... Um, you know, uh, from like Cornell studying chemical engineering, that's like a hundred K or you could try a little harder and get like 110 K. Like it didn't really make a difference to me, I guess. Um, so like, I just like generally, like I kind of just screwed around for, for four years at Cornell. Um, but you know, that being said, like I did manage to get accepted into UC Berkeley's uh, PhD program with an NSS scholarship. Um, but you know, I took, I took a gap year, uh, to work in Boston. I know Matt, you're from Boston, uh, because, uh, I'm I want a gap year too. <laughs> are you really? <laughs> gap years are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like during that time, like, you know, I wasn't, I was already not convinced about like Cornell and my experience at Cornell. And like, there was no way I was going to be convinced that like UC Berkeley was also going to be any better. So I was just like really following the path laid to me. And I just took a gap year because I figured I, I might as well just work a little bit and have some fun in between, uh, you know, the two schooling experiences I was supposed to go to. 
Um, but, you know, during that time, especially near the end of the first gap year in Boston, I knew kind of something was wrong, like existentially. Like I didn't really have much purpose or like any perspective on life. Uh, I kind of had like a quarter life crisis, if you will. And uh, since then, I, yeah. I kind of reconnected with my my co-founder, Jacob. Um, he was also one of my close friends from high school. And uh, him and I kind of like, he kind of convinced me to dive into, you know, philosophies of life, uh, psychedelics, mindfulness and meditation. And uh, from there, I kind of experimented a little bit with psychedelics. And this kind of like, I did that combined with listening to a lecture series called The Headless Way uh, on Sam Harris's Waking Up app. Are, are you guys familiar at all? No, I'm not familiar. I, I do have a friend who's very into like that space Same. of psychedelics, like knowing yeah, yeah. yourself, like pursuing what your body tells you to do. So that's fascinating, but uh, continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sam Harris is like in the same kind of like intellectual dark web vein as like, you know, the, the Jordan Petersons or the like Eric Weinstein's of like of the Internet, I guess. But he has this meditation app called Headless Way. And there's like a bunch of good lectures on it, uh, you know, around awareness and meditation. But so I did all that like that, like zero to one shifted my perspective on life. Um, and, you know, after you do like after you have a psychedelic experience, your mind is pretty malleable. So shortly after I wrote, I, I, I had that, I read Zero to One by Peter Thiel, which I know you're a big fan of, Matt, and then also read The the Bitcoin Standard. And those two books, uh, one, like, kind of started my interest in economics, you know, which was, like, kind of different from my hard STEM background. And then also, it, like, kind of started seeding the conviction that entrepreneurship was what uh, I wanted to focus my career on. And like, you know, the, the piece of material. So those two like pieces of material kind of seeded that conviction for me. And then um, the one that pushed me over was I listened to Naval's How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky. It's like a 300, it's like a mm. three and a half hour long podcast, but it's like from a, a tweet storm that he made uh, on Twitter. And that kind of just pushed me over the edge. I was like, for sure, like, this is what I have to do. do Good. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, special takeaway points from from those from those moments? It seems like you had that really pivoted your life in, yeah. in a different way. Yeah. So I think uh, like the Bitcoin. I, okay. Well, I guess I'll start zero to one. Uh, I realized that like there is a uh, there is a career path where you can have like real influence on the the world. I guess. So I think zero to one really. Before, when I was at Cornell, I was a what Thiel would call a deterministic pessimist, where I did not think that things could get better. And I did not have any clue about what to do in order to make things better, or even if like it was possible to do so. And then reading zero to one, just like having that framework in my mind, I was like, okay, like, obviously, like, this is not the best way to like, have a good view on life, like, I need to kind of shift my perspective to like the rational optimist way of living because it's like the only it's the only like positive some way forward right to to have a perspective on life so that really 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 quickly what is the rational oh sorry really quickly what is the rational optimist so the idea is that like um an optimist is one who believes that life will get better than the current situation right and then the rational part of that optimist is like you have to you have to uh believe that you can enact or you have the ability to enact this change Right. So you have to be rationalist in that you have to have like lo- be logically reasoned in order to enact some kind of change. And then you have to be optimistic in that like you have to be optimistic that you have the ability to do 
to be like rational and then also bring forth like you know what your vision is for the future um and that's so like, in know, summary like, it's almost right so so in summary it's almost as if like you take matters into your own hands yeah. and you, you it's like your destiny is in your own control it's up to you if you want to be pessimistic or optimistic about it mm -hmm. and how you control that is based off of how you view uh i guess your framework or the way you view life right yeah, um, yeah and i exactly think that's pretty that. cool uh but yes I, I think that's a great lesson from 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 uh from, <laughs> from that situation yeah for sure yeah and then like i guess the bitcoin standard like i i kind of started uh thinking a little bit more about like microeconomics uh as opposed to like more keynesian macroeconomics as a framework um so that's like you know a little bit more like human psychology and uh monetary theory and then uh how to get rich for for naval i think the biggest lesson i took from that was like the lesson of leverage like the idea that you you really want to start off your career trying to build as much leverage as possible in like labor leverage capital leverage and then product leverage and then from there you kind of graduate into like thinking a little bit more about judgment. So how do you make the decisions? Once, you, once you've built the boat into a cargo ship, how do you steer that cargo ship, right? So that, so those are like, I guess the three biggest lessons from each of those pieces that I kind of, that I kind of took away. Man. Could you, could you explain a bit more of the three types of leverage? You said product, capital, and labor. Yeah. So this is, this is interesting. I would refer, I would refer to the podcast, but my best explanation of that is that like, so, what Naval says is that throughout history, there's three forms of leverage. Um, the first historically has been labor leverage. The second is capital leverage. And then the third is zero marginal cost product leverage, right? So how you describe the labor leverage is that like, it's, it's like, um, I guess the closest analogy would be like, you're a manager, right? And you have the ability to delegate specific tasks to specific people, right? So you don't have to do all the tasks yourself you're levered up in that you have people doing tasks for you, right? And like the extreme version of this would be like the wealthiest people in our society way back in the day were people with slaves, right? This is like the Egyptians. And also like, you know, typically throughout history, it's like the way that you would build wealth or even like have control was through labor leverage. And then the second form of leverage that came was capital leverage. And this is like, you know, the the warren buffett's and the charlie mungers kind of built their wealth on capital leverage and it's the idea that you can deploy you know money in order to make things happen uh the way that you want them to make happen right and you know i think all these things are pretty like these are the two traditional forms of leverage that people have had throughout history but the third one is like the modern age one which is zero marginal cost product leverage and that's like either like SaaS like SaaS businesses or even like online media businesses. So like it's often said that the the birth of the internet created two different classes of people. One is the creator and then the second is the entrepreneur. And both of these guys, like both of these classes of people play into this idea of zero marginal cost product leverage. And like the reason why it's so powerful is because like, you know, it's essentially you skip all like you skip straight to the economies of scale, right? Because it costs, it has no money to replicate the product that you're trying to build. So it's very easy to just scale up and have everybody use that product. So ideally, uh, the way that you want to build leverage is like, you know, there's three types of leverage. You want to be, you want to position yourself to try to accumulate as much of each, each of these three types of leverage as, po as possible. And then the vol sites that like the startup, the tech startup is like the most optimal form 
in, in, in like the modern time, right. That kind of utilizes all three sorts of leverage. You know, you use VC money, yep. you have like engineers and then mm. you're building a product, right? Mm, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah not, we're, we're not going to try and recreate that podcast because I'm sure <laughs> Naval did it much better than we can. But that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing. I think you explained it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and like to kind of recap this, I guess this section of learning about your story, I think a lot of times people are like afraid that, oh, you know, I am an engineer by trade. So like I can't start a business because I don't know how to be an entrepreneur. Right. But like you yeah. graduated from Cornell with Kemi and then like in that gap year, how long did it take you for, I guess, to become an entrepreneur, would you say? I mean, I think I'll say like it took the duration of that whole gap. Year. I mean, OK, I actually took. Uh, I'm actually currently on my second gap year, so I'm still supposed to go to UC Berkeley, uh, but okay. I, I officially haven't accepted. So I guess like I'm still in my gap year, but it took all of 2021 yep. for me to really build conviction. I wouldn't say that like that's really like a model for for other people. You know what I mean? Like I, yep. when when I took the leap of faith into entrepreneurship, as in like when I quit my job and I guess like decided that I'm not going to go to Berkeley, um, I don't think I was ready to do it. But in a certain sense, like when you go into entrepreneurship or even like if you're a creator trying to like launch a YouTube channel, you kind of have to take those like leaps of faith and just like jump off the cliff and do it. Um, so I'd say that like I the biggest thing for me was that like you kind of have to understand that like from from uh, the doing the psychedelics and then also like listening to Nepal, you, you kind of I kind of realized that like all this stuff is like self-taught. Like you don't go to school and learn entrepreneurship or like, I, I don't think that like school is the best place for you to really understand how to like start a business or even launch like a YouTube, uh, well, especially launch a YouTube channel, right? Or something like that. Um, you kind of <laughs> have to learn it yourself. So I think the best way to do it is just read books. Like in 2021, I read uh, like 32 books or something like that. And like, you know, trust me, like it was, it was hard for me to do because like I didn't read a book before then like, 10 years before that. So like I had to like completely shift my mentality into like reading books. But like, <laughs> I think like it's just having that curiosity was probably the biggest thing for me in, in like, in eventually like making that leap of faith and, you know, just eating all the risk. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, like my, my previous framework was like, oh yeah, I'll just work. If my only option is to work a nine to five, I might as well just eat all the risk because like, I feel like if you go to university or you have some kind of like back plan, then like, you know, your, your downside is like pretty capped in, in practicality. Right. So like, I still have my chemical mm -hmm. engineering degree, so I might as well just like try to take these leaps, uh, going forward was my thinking. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. And I think that maybe it's not necessarily the framework for everyone, but it's also just mm -hmm. proof that like, just because you didn't go to study business doesn't mean you can't do business. I think yeah. business is one of the easiest or maybe not easiest but most realistic skill sets to obtain without going through like formal education like it's really hard it's probably a lot harder for me to like become going to chemical engineering without mm -hmm. doing some sort of like formal class i'm sure it can be done because like yeah. youtube academy like youtube university it's it's crazy these days but yeah like i i agree like i am in school right now and i tried taking some entrepreneurship concentration classes and it was like this entire semester we're going to spend building a marketing a, a instagram for a fake brand like mm -hmm. just building an instagram and it's like you can do so much more than that in three months you know <laughs> if you're actually doing it yourself yeah uh like so much more but 
I mean, to, to, to get onto the meat of the interview, I guess, for the podcast um, regarding Super, like this was super mm-hmm. fascinating. You know, maybe we'll have you on again to talk more about you in particular. Uh, but could you tell us a bit more about Super, the business, what it does in a bit more detail? Um, and, and we'll continue from there. Yeah, for sure. So like very concretely, what Super does is like facilitate belief capital for the creator economy. And what belief capital is, is like, it, this is like a term that's like starting to come up in like the entrepreneurship, um, you know, ecosystem where it's essentially just like uh, friends and family around or people, you know, it's like rather than being more uh, return oriented, like the the capital that you get from like a belief capital round is more about just like votes of confidence in you or your idea from the people around you. Right. So like these people give you money. They don't necessarily like care about the the terms or the rates. They're just like, okay, like we believe in you. We think you can make this happen. Your idea is pretty cool. I just want to toss 500 or whatever, depending on how much you can afford, like 5,000 or an angel check or whatever. Right. So we think that this idea is is super interesting because like it's made in, in a lot of respects, you know, we're, we're on, um, we're in the ODX cohort. So we're, we're surrounded by a bunch of startups and it's made like investing a very community driven and fun event again. So rather than just like looking at the tickers in the market, it's more about, you know, the people around you and like meeting them and understanding what their business models are and where they come from. And it's just like, it's just a fun thing. Right. So we think that this, this idea of belief capital can just like rip much, much harder in the creator economy because it's like, it's inherently social, right? Like create, like entrepreneurship is one thing, but you're still trying to make a business at the end of the day. But like the creator economy is all about like interactions, communities and stuff like that. So what we're doing is like, we are building a tool that essentially facilitates belief capital, right? So the idea is that like you as a creator, you have a tool, uh, you can essentially like collect investments from the people around you. And this is cool because like, one, you can get the money in order to launch a podcast or start a business. But then you could also like align incentives, right? If you collect, like if you collect investments from five people, then you essentially like have a five person team that you can rely on, right? Because everybody's trying to make you win because the more they make you win, the more they get returned, right? Um, so our thesis is that like creators like need to build a, a business to effectively monetize their audience. But the problem is like fundraising infrastructure is non-existent in the creator economy. Um, you know, specifically, I guess, uh, businesses kind of go out of pocket, uh, or like creators, when they're trying to start a businesses, they go out of pocket and just bootstrap. And if they're larger, they kind of rely on, you know, uh, rely on terms from like, or rely on teams of expensive lawyers, you know, backroom deals, or even like creative funds that, you know, kind of, you know, kind of give them pretty bad terms to launch their next project or business and all these like options they're pretty slow, they're costly or inefficient for like the creator. And we found that like, you know, the reason why creators still build businesses is because uh, there's this idea of like product market fit in the, in the startup economy, which is essentially like, how do you sell the product that you're building to your target audience? Right. And like creators kind of deal with the same thing where they are trying to sell their piece of content to the audience that they want to, they want to watch them. Right. So, uh, like creators have already solved the audience or the market part of this product market fit. Right. Um, but they just don't have the product in order to sell to their customers. And, you know, 
the building of business is like thus the the best way to monetize their their audience because you don't have to rely on the platform and their take rates and then every all the profit that you gain is is yours as a creator so um you know every creator has the ability and and also like the the community that they have around them has the ability to like kind of underwrite their investments which means that like you can get very good terms like this idea of belief capital that i was talking about um the creator can get very good terms for those investments and yeah so we're just trying to build we're trying to build just this like we facilitate all these items right we want to build something that mm. is like we're building something that's like very easy to use just like venmo and it allows creators to collect investments from their community to launch like whatever whatever they want to work on does that make right. sense so i see yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's really exciting, like as a creator myself, um, and I kind of see how you align the incentives with Super, like your your previous ISA venture, um, and you mentioned that's something that you really like to take advantage of when thinking about business ideas. Um, and I think one question then is, you know, with say a super fan, if I'm launching like a new business and a super fan uses Super to mm -hmm. invest. And that super fan is just like a, a normal, regular person. How would they, how would you bridge the gap there in terms of like that super fan being an investor? Like what if someone doesn't have a lot of experience in investing? I mean, maybe not my honest, my honest isn't the best example because I make like investing yeah. content, but you know, say a, like a, maybe a cooking channel and someone just really likes that creator. They think that their new kitchenware is going to do super well and they mm. want to support them. Is there a way that you explain to the audience or the family and friends or like the super fans how their investment works? Um, what is your guys' approach to that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a very good question. I think that, uh, so the contracts that we offer for the creator, they, we offer a variety of contracts for the creator. So there's like, you could either sell like a percent equity of whatever you're working on. So whether that, whether or not that's a business around the podcast or even like some kind of merch line or some differentiated product, you can build, like, you can, you can sell stake in that, or you could do like a revenue contract essentially where you shell, where you share in the revenue that's generated by the business. Um, so that being like, when you, when you perform all of the, when you do all the investments, our investor flow kind of explains exactly what you're investing in and what you're like expected, um, uh, what you're expected to receive from that investment. Um, but in general, I think that we are, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're focusing on educating the creator first in understanding the whole, uh, like idea of investing or what they're actually doing, what they're actually offering to their fans such that, you know, the conduit that we're seeing is that like we work with the creator, right? And then the creator kind of understands and um, and like tells their their fans exactly what's going on, right? Um, because I think that, you know, given yeah. just like the nature of the creator economy is like most of the trust is on the creator, right? We're just like kind of facilitating this right. interaction between the creator and the fans. Um, but then we do, you know, offer uh documentation and then also like an easy explanation for the for for the fans or the communities to understand if they're not already like you know uh familiar with investing at all makes a lot of sense cool uh i, I have a question for you since we're on the topic of, of your business i'm just wondering um how do you guys test your model or at least like flush out the feasibility of this entire business right uh it sounds as if there's a lot of moving parts and and 
And how did you know that this was something that you could do? Yeah, so uh, the when we started off, uh, when we like first transitioned from like the ISA idea into the creator economy, we 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 know a bunch of creators like just in our personal network. So we were kind of talking to them and talking to them about their pain points, and we kind of realized that like um, a lot of people want to take that leap to like doing content full time or even like taking the leap of like not monetizing to monetizing, and uh, a lot of like a lot of doing so has to do with like risk, right? Like, can I get the right team on my, like on my back so that, you know, we can make this all happen. Um, what if like some, there's some hiccups in the beginning, but you still want, like the vision is still there, right? But there, there's some like questions at the beginning or like some concerns in the beginning. So in general, we think that like what we found from the the creators that we talked to was that like, there's a, there's a, a capital constraint at the beginning, similar to like how a startup has a capital constraint. Um, so the, the the best way to solve that, I think, is from getting that capital from your community, right? Because like the the investors that you could potentially get the capital from will definitely like they will definitely try to fleece you, especially for how risky uh, of an investment like often creators are in the same way that startups are really. Um, so we thought that the feasibility of that was definitely there and there's precedent in law to make this all a legal, like a legal venture, uh, especially in recent times. And then also, which is like the rise of like Web3 uh, retail investing, you know, the whole AMC uh, GameStop situation, like a lot more people are starting to get invested. So it's becoming like a way more common behavior, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, cool. Thank No, thanks for sharing. I think I think you answered it very well. Yeah, and I think kind of going off the back of that, like with Web3, have you guys given any thought to utilizing that technology into Super? Is that down the road on like a product roadmap? What does that look like? Yeah, so we're like, we're all big, big fans of Web3. Like I think just, uh, I had mentioned that I'd read the Bitcoin standard and that changed a lot of my thinking. So I, I'm definitely like in the camp of going down the Web3 route, uh, big fans of decentralization. Uh, but what we're thinking is that like in the current stage of the creator economy, and then also just like within the expertise of our team, we wanted to develop something that's in web two, just to like, make sure that the value prop is there make sure the behavior is there, make sure that everything can run smoothly. And then I think we will definitely decentralize the, the, the product into a web three product and make it, you know, more like a token based ISA, if you will or even like just token equity type type of situations. Um, but, you know, I think that is incumbent upon uh, us being able to zero to one on a web two platform. And then also like seeing how like the legal landscape kind of plays out going into the future. But, you know, that being said, like yeah. what super is trying to make is infrastructural product. Right. And I think web three would definitely be mm -hmm. uh, the best way to do it. Yeah. And yeah, I think uh, the tokenization like ISA through tokenization, I think is something I've been really fascinated by and would love like if someone made that. Like there is several channels off the top of my head that I, if I had the opportunity to like purchase a token and somehow get a percentage of revenue in their channel, that'd be amazing. Um, and I think it opens up a lot of different possibilities and use cases for the creator as well. Uh, and I agree that as well, that maybe Web2, at least in my opinion, I was thinking of some like creator economy startups that had Web3 potential, but I'm not sure if the creator economy or creators in general are ready to adopt like 
creating their own wallet, you know, all yeah. the new vernacular that they have to learn, mm -hmm. the vocabulary. And it might just be easier to, on like a timeline perspective, build a Web2 product, earn their trust and build a relationship, and then wait for regulatory issues to like work yeah. themselves out. And once they do, you can introduce this Web3 yeah. product to a customer base that already trusts you enough to go through that effort. And yeah. hopefully you've helped them enough to where they're like, yeah, no question. I'm gonna do like pretty much whatever you guys suggest. Right, yeah, yeah, we definitely see that. Like the, I think the Web3, there's definitely like a creator niche that is like very Web3, right? Like there are people who are natively Web3 that are, are, are also content creators. But in terms of like, mm -hmm. um, like it, it's almost like if you want to create a product where the value proposition proposition isn't necessarily Web three, right? But it could be a Web three product. You're now pushing like a two full value proposition onto the creator, where like pushing one is already hard enough, right? Um, that being said, you right. know, like I'm not trying to like rail on Web three. Like I think Web three and cryptocurrency and decentralization is definitely like the future of the web. But, you know, for us trying to zero to one, we thought that going the Web2 route initially was probably the best way to do it. Yeah, I like it. Um, so what were the first couple of weeks like building this company at OnDeck? I saw on their website, it said they had uh, over 7,500 applicants, only 110 got accepted to ODX, which I believe you guys are a part of and you'd mentioned mm -hmm. before. So were the first couple of weeks with Super in this kind of accelerator, venture accelerator, or was it before then application? What did it look like? Yeah, so um, we we started Super like maybe three weeks before we applied, right? So I think, I'll say this, like, uh, so the ODX is essentially, for people who are not familiar, ODX is essentially just like a competitor to Y Combinator, right? And I, I'm sure like some of, at least some of you guys are familiar with Y Combinator. Um, Y Combinator is like, it's, it's a startup accelerator. So you can imagine it as just like a boot camp for startups, right? They teach you how to start up, um, and they simultaneously invest in you. So they share in your success as well. So ODX is the same way, but that being said, like on deck ODX, uh, one it's, it's, this is the first iteration of, uh, the on deck program, the on deck accelerator program. So they're pretty nascent and they're trying to just like get a foothold in, in this like whole accelerator world of startups. So we started, oh, okay. All, all that is to mention that like typically YC looks for companies that are already scaling and they just help them scale rather than like incubating companies from the start, let's say. Um, and you know, this is my general experience is that I don't think this is like what's on their website or anything like that. I think they encourage you to apply with just an idea as well, but you know, take that for 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 what, what for, with the grain of salt i guess um for on deck we we ideated you know we'd worked on the isa uh company for like three four months and then we pivoted to the creator economy for like three weeks and then we essentially went into like the the on deck application program with just like an idea some validation and um a really good sell i think and we managed to get in, so it was very interesting. So, so yeah. So I guess to, to say, like, we we did not we did not start building super before we got into on deck. So we got into on deck with the idea, and then our team. And then once we started, uh, you know, uh, once we started on deck was when we started building the product and really seriously bunkering down with uh, talking to creators and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And that experience was nuts. Like on deck was was ridiculous, especially me coming from like the East coast, I don't know about like how you guys feel, but my experience, like going at Cornell and like 
going to uh, studying chemical engineering was like, I did not have any clue about starting up or like the type of people in this, like in this community and stuff like that. So it was like for, for the longest time, right. In all 2021, it was like me and my co-founder Jacob just talking to each other about startups. Neither of us had any, like had no background in tech. We had no, like, you know, we didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, but we were like bouncing ideas off each other just from like stuff we'd learned. And it was crazy just like getting thrown into like a cohort of another hundred companies, you know, with, with, you know, respectively like two, three founders each. And like everybody has the same mindset as you. So it was cool. We got to like, OnDeck has been treating us really well. Like, obviously, I think the biggest thing was just like getting in contact with a bunch of people who are familiar with ventures so that like, you know, you, you don't feel alone when you're trying to start a startup. I know like this is very similar to like, you know, content creation, I think starting up as an entrepreneur is the very is like is the same is the same in that respect where like it could be a very lonely road especially like if you don't have the network originally um so yeah. uh yeah so so that was that was super that was super cool just getting to know everybody and then they 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 hosted a retreat for us in uh norcal and it was cool getting to know people like in person as well so on deck has been great like on deck has uh has taught us a lot and the resources they give us are are, are pretty tremendous the connections or everything nice nice it uh i mean you, you mentioned there it almost sounds like there'd be a business opportunity for for maybe like a yc or, or an on deck for content creators maybe like an yeah. incubation program to flush out an idea yeah they have that possible they have that right I mean, yeah <laughs> are you, yeah, are you talking there's about a, creator there's now? creator well yeah, there's Creator now and there's a part-time YouTuber Academy. So part-time YouTuber mm -hmm. Academy or part-time PTYA yeah. <laughs> um, is started by uh, Ali Abdal, uh, who's like a productivity oh, yeah. YouTuber. And then uh, Creator now is started by Airac, who his claim to fame is like zero to a million subscribers in a year. Yeah. Uh, they both make like amazing videos. I watch all their stuff. But yeah, I think <laughs> Creator now just got funding. Um, like got three closed mil. Series A maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think I think um, they got three, three so, million seed. Yeah. Oh, seed. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah no, it was, it's um, so it's huge. Um, and I, I, I agree. I think uh, there's definitely an opportunity. Also, I mean, we can get back on track with um, Super, yeah. but I think there's also uh, an opportunity for building some way to help creator economy startups find product market fit with creators. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because like. I feel like there's, it's almost like the same group of creators that gets targeted with these new products and like mm -hmm. gets all these offers. And then there's like a whole sea of creators that's kind of left untouched that doesn't yeah. run in the circle of more entrepreneurial um, yeah. creators. W would you say that's true, Dylan? I, I'll say that's definitely true. Like, I mean, the problem that we've been having the most is just like getting distribution. So, and, and I don't even know if this is like, honestly, like even a solvable thing it might just be the nature of like distribution among people because like in the same way that like you know startups or like entrepreneurs are more likely to use a new product that comes out like i mean just like tech board people like you know people like mkhd right who who are willing to try the the latest new piece of tech right i think there's just always going to be like a proportion of the population who are like you know willing to try new things and push the boundaries and I think that it's probably the same. I mean, it is the same way in the creator economy in that like people like you, Matt, who are familiar with just like, you know, venture or entrepreneurship are more likely to just try new products, new things to like new methods to monetize or even try like, you know, try to create a business or something like that. 
and then there's going to be like the sea of creators who are not necessarily willing to to do so and i think that in general like i mean obviously like coming from like a startup background you would want more people to be willing to try new things because like and this is how you push the boundaries right of the creator economy and then also like just starting up in general um but it's probably going to be like always the case that there's going to be like a distribution of people who are like more likely to try something less likely to try something and it's probably always going to be the case that there's a smaller group of people willing to try a new product than there is you know in the long mm. tail of people who who are more conservative you know for sure for sure yeah so refocusing a little bit um so was there a framework well refocusing back onto odx was there a framework that you guys went through um to decide on like business ideals business models or even like tackling distribution problems uh while while you guys are in odx and and flushing things out um is there like uh i guess some structure or, or some plan to it because it sounded like the early days were very fast moving chaotic and you're just yeah. trying to rush to get a plan to put in place um mm -hmm. does that look a little bit more structured now or or um, how's that going for you guys? Yeah. So I think, yeah, to, to your point, like in the beginning, things were definitely like unstructured, right? Especially coming from like a typical like STEM background, like the structure is typically already put in place like for you before you even like, you know, before you even start contributing to anything. So starting up is like, it's a case where like, no, like not only do you have to implement structure, but you also have to realize that you, you need to implement structure, which is like something that you don't, <laughs> you don't necessarily think about, uh, coming from a non-traditional background. Um, so at the beginning, like we were just trying to outreach as much as possible, get to many, as many creators as possible, but within our personal network. And then since joining ODX, I think we've learned a lot more about, you know, CRMs, AB testing, even just like outreach, um, and also like implementing a structure, like, as COO myself, I've been implementing a lot of the organizational structure of our company. And we're definitely not the type of team that like would naturally do that ourselves. Like, you know, we're, we're very much like the creative, like try to like, you know, bounce ideas off each other as much as possible type, type of ideas. But we're definitely trying to focus uh, a lot more on the execution part of, of the starting up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very easy. It's actually like, I think traditionally a lot of people are like, oh, like I need to come up with a good idea before I start up or even like just like in terms of content creation, I need to find a good niche before like I really dive into like the YouTube, uh, the t YouTube scene. Right. But like actually like 99% of it is just like execution of these things. Like ideas come easy, but it's just like making one is like the risk tolerance. And then the second is like the ability to like actually make it happen, <laughs> which like, which definitely leads into organizational structure. Um, so like ODX has definitely like like taught us that just like being being in the program, learning how like you know typically like ventures operate, and then also getting to know a lot of people in the community has been really helpful in that respect. Um, any yeah. any tips on execution and just making sure that your plan goes like accordingly and and making sure you meet your goals and deadlines? Uh, because oftentimes as entrepreneurs ourselves, we find it. Uh, there could be high and high and low periods, right? And those low periods, you just might feel like it's a slog. Um, any any tips to people out there that are struggling with trying to get things moving and trying to get things implemented? Yeah. Um, so I think I I guess like the biggest thing is like you the perspective you always have to have is like you, you almost have to have like main character energy. I I think you know whether or not that's like <laughs> you know whether or not that's like. I guess something good to say or not in terms of like, in terms of like your hubris, it's like, I think to a certain extent, 
like you do have to have the sense that like everything is going to work out where you know you have this goal in your mind and like no matter what like gets thrown your way there is a way to solve it it's almost like it almost goes back to this like rational optimistic uh point of view so you, if you always keep that in the back of your mind right then then all problems are really soluble and you can solve all of them right but it does it definitely is the case where like there are multiple weeks where you're like very down bad with your with your your endeavors like you're like oh i don't know if this is like even gonna work am i gonna have to pivot and all that um i think some pieces of advice that i have in general is like one you definitely have to surround yourself with the right people because like you know you're really like a function of like the the personalities that are around you so uh i think i'm pretty lucky in that like the co-founders that i have are generally on the same page as I am. And they, they also have um, the ability to make sure that things are just like going in the right way. Even when things look bad, there's always that North Star that all of us share. So we're all just trying to work our ways around these problems. And then in terms of like concrete mm -hmm. things that you guys can do is like uh, something that we've started to do that I've been implementing a lot more is that like a lot of people, or at least for us, we were kind of stuck in this like phase of just like ideation uh, rather than execution. So we were just thinking a lot about like, what can we do to make our business model better, right? Like, what can we do to tweak the product this way, that way? But we never really like, but the main priority that we had to do was like, get it to market, test it, and then understand the data to fix the, like data would have solved a lot of our ideation struggles, right? So something that I've implemented in the, in the structure recently is just like, there's, there's set times throughout the week or even during the day where uh, ideation is like set aside for us to bounce ideas off of each other. And then the rest of the time is just like focused on execution, right? So like, it's almost like mm -hmm. you could get in your own way by thinking too much about what you're trying to do. Like you, you I mean, there's mm -hmm. advice in like, I think that also applies to content creation, but like just always have like an action bias where just get things done, look at the data and then reevaluate, right? And then know, just like be reassured that like all the problems that you face are soluble, right? Because at the end of the day, nice. everything will be okay, right? Yeah, I really like that idea of an action bias. And I, I struggled with that as well. Um, when I was like working with someone to build out new features for a community that I, I'm building, we ended up just all our calls that were meant to be on like, okay, what needs to get done turned into like two hour calls about what we could do in addition yeah. to what we already have planned. And then I literally put on my desktop screensaver, like no more ideas, like just execute. Yeah. I was, and the, you know, <laughs> and, and I think it also goes back to like ideas are a dime a dozen, like it comes down mm -hmm. to execution. And yeah. I think, um, you know, when I, when I thought I had this great idea, I was like meeting with some people and I was like, Hmm, like, should I, should I have them sign an NDA? And then like, <laughs> I was yeah. talking with this guy who has like experience in, in the VC world. He's like, yeah, if you say that, it's like most VCs will probably just laugh at you because yeah. all you have is an idea right now. Many people have had that idea before you, many will have yeah. it after you. They care about like, can you actually make it yeah. real and bring it to, to the public? So, um, yeah, I absolutely love that. And, I like also the idea of setting aside time for ideation because you're right. Data solves most of your issues. And I've, well, I've come to realize the value of like user interviews. Like a lot mm. of times I'll be talking with a team about what we could or should do. And everyone has their own opinion, but our opinion doesn't matter. Like the opinion of our end user is what really matters because yeah. they're the ones who are deciding whether or not our company 
will have something that they find valuable or whether or not our company will be able to convince them that we have something valuable. Um, so I, I wanted to like reiterate that a bit, but with everything you've just said, and everything you've implemented since the, the time at ODX and, and moving forward a bit, let's fast forward to today, just four months you know, after you guys started working on Super. What's top of mind for you guys today? What's next in, in the immediate term? Yeah, so I mean, what we want, the, our biggest issue right now, uh, as I think I've alluded to before, is just like getting in, getting in front of creators. <clears throat> so like, you know, we have a product that's been built and you, we know it works. We facilitated fundraises for startups within the ODX community, which is like another advantage of being there. You could test out your products. Um, but in, in general, like I mentioned that I think the creator economy has like a distribution problem and it's like difficult in, to get in front of creators, especially if you're not one yourself. And, you know, I think that has to do with like two reasons. Uh, and like, you let me know if, if these are right. Cause I'm not a creator myself, but like the first is like, you guys are getting constantly bombarded with messages so it's hard to kind of like sift through the sea of just like dms to see which products actually like help you and which ones don't and then i think the second is that like we'd also touched on this before is like creators are generally like risk adverse in trying new products because they have like their reputation to lose which is like everything for a creator right yeah yeah i would say um that is pretty accurate uh, the second you lose integrity, the second you do a sponsorship for a company that turns out to be like fraudulent, yeah. you lose a, a huge portion of your brand and like your power, not only just like in terms of monetization, but just in having an audience. Um, yeah. yeah. And integrity is everything. Trust is everything. And then you mentioned, you know, getting bombarded. Yeah. Are, I mean, a lot of creators, especially the bigger ones, their inboxes are just full of like yeah. not only startup ideas, but mostly sponsorship opportunities. Yeah. And... I think a lot of, I think maybe some advice, a lot of them are very vague in their emails about like what mm. they can actually do. I think the more specific, the better. That mm. might kind of decrease, I don't know, it might decrease or increase your hit rate in terms of responses to like cold emails. Yeah. But I think if I opened up an email and I saw like, wow, this is specifically tailored to like exactly what I need, yeah. that email is gonna stand out like crazy. Right. Um, like, like, uh, if I saw a subject line, like we want to help fund your next project, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Oh, boom, clicking on that email out of that all of sense. them because yeah. I'm, I'm like more of an entrepreneurial creator. Um, and I think obviously that's who you guys are kind of targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hopefully that helps. <laughs> no, I mean, it's definitely good advice. We've, we've heard that from, from other creators as well. So it seems like that's definitely the direction away, like the direction to go. Um, but yeah, dude, Perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, in see, everybody's DMs. yeah but there you go it's like it's like you guys could have spent hours ideating on how to approach creators but instead you just go talk to them and they tell you how to do it um so uh, what are your clients you know i know you guys are at a waiting list phase right now but like i guess instead of clients maybe what are the people that you're interviewing saying right now about super like you said you helped a couple startups already but maybe not quite in the creator space uh so what's everyone saying about super that you've talked to about it yeah, so we've talked to a bunch of creators who are like more entrepreneurial, like yourself, and a lot of them are saying that like they wish this exists, like existed sooner, right? It, early on in their career, maybe before they got all the brand deals, a little bit more um, like fresh in terms of like trying to start a venture. I think that they were they were mm-hmm. all like a tool like this would have definitely been helpful to get things off the ground. Um, but you know, yeah. that being said, <clears throat> we're still working on converting 
those creators that we've talked to, those are like creators that we just like met, like going out in LA. Uh, so we still need to get in touch with those guys. But in, in general, like uh, the startups have been saying that like super has been like pretty fun to use. And it's just like a very exciting experience, you know, like investments in general, at least in like the Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett investing is like, it's kind of boring, right? Like you're like, I don't want to invest in like, you know, wood or something like that, or even like oil, right? You want to invest in something that's like new, that could return, that's like a new product that could like potentially get levered, levered up, network effects, all that stuff, right? Something flashy. So like, it's pretty cool to like be able, like this community, like, I mean, our tool like really focuses on like community investments, right? So it's like, it's idea that like you can get let in on a secret, right? And then also facilitate this transaction with super and and this tool so a lot of people have been like having a lot of fun using it and it's just cool like being sent a link and like being able to invest like right away is like it's a pretty like i mean it it's as easy to use as venmo so then the interaction becomes more about like getting connected with the like the in like the founder or the creator and learning about like what they actually want to build right more so than the the transaction mm. of it all yeah. So, so I, I think something we might not have touched on actually is how do you guys make money on this process? Yeah. So, I mean, in its current stage, uh, we're not trying to make any money. It's just like, I think the, the, the business, the business model that we're going for, it's such that like the game theoretic move is to grow at all costs because we're like very much an infrastructural product. Um, and we're also still trying to search for product market fit. So we're trying to find the right audience for, for something like super. And I think that, um, monetizing off of it is probably going to slow that, that down. But that being said, like, uh, in the future, once we start scaling, I think we're going to charge a flat rate for, uh, for performing a fundraise. And then, uh, also, you know, in the, our five, year, 10 year, uh, timeline, we plan on cross selling features or other products to, to our, our user base. And then, you know, each one of those products will have and maybe a slightly tweaked uh, business model to them, if that makes sense. Since, since we since we hopped over there already, uh, this this really helps us enter our next question. Um, would you mind sharing us a, a little bit more about what you think or envision Super looking like in the five year horizon? Yeah, so I mentioned I I don't know how familiar you, you guys are with Angelist. Are you guys familiar with Angelist? Yeah, the company familiar. Yeah, so I guess uh, it, for for your audience who doesn't know about Angelist, like Angelist is essentially like a community where <clears throat> startup founders or investors can get connected to each other, and they facilitate investments. They also connect you to like a, a talent talent hires and stuff like that, or just like job boards, or just even like blogs. It's just like an all in one place for you to build your like startup community, right? So what Super will be in five years is the Angelist for creators, right? So the idea is that Super will be the one-stop shop for creator entrepreneurs to start their business, fundraise, build a team, scale. And the idea is that like we're going to create a community for for creators to, you know, like get like get connected to their brands, to get brand deals, but then also like get connected to like uh, executive team, for example, to help like you know, for example, Mr. Beast could have gone through uh, Super well in five years in order to connect it to the get connected to the executive team to start Feastables, right? Or like, um, you know, they can get connected to talent, so that's like video editors and stuff like that. 
Um, and then also get connected to like other uh, entrepreneur creators, right? So like people just to collaborate, bounce ideas off of each other and then uh, launch things together. Um, but in the next 10 years, yeah. I think, yeah, you, got, I mean, <laughs> you have any questions? <laughs> Oh no no! I was just I was just thinking that the network effect is very powerful. You guys yeah. are uh, forgoing the 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 early early stages of revenue and and profitability for for end game network effect, which is yeah. uh, the sustainable route, which is um, pretty pretty forward thinking of you guys. So, yeah. so I'm quite impressed. I mean, and, and, I mean, I think... yeah, no, please go ahead. Ten years. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I think the grow at all cost things is like pretty controversial, right? Like a lot of people are like. Uh, I mean, that was definitely the case when like the Facebooks and Instagrams were popping off, but a lot of people are starting to like re-question that assumption of grow at all costs. But I think it's like, really dependent on the business model, right? Like if you have something that rips network effects, you always want to be like the, in a sense, like the first user or the final user, according to Peter Thiel, where like all you have to capture the whole network before you start to um, monetize or else, you know, the next person who charges less than you will capture the network, right? Um, but, uh, to the 10 year, the 10 year play, um, I think that super is going to try to be the backbone infrastructure for all solarpreneurs trying to launch their next venture. So this is like, you know, the crypto play, the crypto play long-term when everybody is trying to start their own business. Like we have this belief in the future of work, uh, in that, like everybody's going to be working for themselves in the future, just because like. You know, the idea, like, I mean, the tools will be built for anybody to be able to uh, lever themselves up to operate like a company, essentially. Um, so that being mm -hmm. said, you know, everybody's going to be a creator. Everybody's going to be a solopreneur. Everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. And we just want to be the infrastructure to make it all happen for everybody. Nice. When you say everybody, do you mean literally everybody? Because so you kind of do have to have people working under you, I would imagine, mm -hmm. uh, to, like you said, leverage labor. Yeah. So, I mean, here's, here's my claim. Here's my claim. And this may be controversial, but I think that everybody will be a solopreneur or an entrepreneur or a creator in the future. And the reason being is because like, if you look at the long-term mega trend of technology, it's essentially, it's the automation of all things that we don't want to do as human beings. Right. And everything that you don't want to do as a human being is essentially anything that is inauthentic and then also like non-creative, right? So in a sense that everybody will be an artist because like all tasks, for example, like if you look at like over time, right? Like we have all these things, all these technologies that like automate away things that like menial tasks that we don't want to do. Like, like a clear, like an example is like a dishwasher, right? Like you don't have people washing your dishes. You have like a, a machine doing it for you. And even like, and even like tools like SaaS tools, right? You don't have, you no longer have like people like sending emails for you. You have like CRM tools that do it like, like for you, right? So the extreme trend, the extreme, if you take this to the extreme, everything will be automated by some kind of SaaS tool or some kind of like hardware tool. And then that will just leave you as a human being just able to pursue whatever creative uh, venture that you want to do, right? And because it's like, and because like the most optimal way to, uh, or the best way to optimize for your, like your authenticity and your creativity is to like work for yourself, right? Because you're, you're the only person who can really express what, what you're about, I guess. And powerful. <laughs> do you buy? Do you buy no, into it? I mean, 
I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, I think it makes sense, but I think there are mm. also, you know, this could probably be an entire podcast on, in its own. Yeah. But you know, the immediately things that I kind of want to poke at are like, what does that world look like in terms of the economy? Right. Mm. Uh, you would basically, if you want to do anything, you would need money because mm. everything would be a product so like I, I don't know like what, what how do people get along in that world where everything is automated like how yeah. do what if your joy is engineering like mm -hmm. like computer science but now no code solutions have gone so far that you literally don't need an engineer yeah. right or like I think there would still be businesses though that need people but I see what you're saying if you bring it to the ultimate extreme you the wouldn't extreme, need. Yeah. And I'll say this. I'll that say this. That is a thinker. <laughs> I'll say this. I think that, I mean, the reason why I'm pursuing entrepreneurship in some sense is because, like, I think in the long term, chemical engineering, which is what I studied, will be completely automated. So I don't think chemical engineering will exist as a field in the longest term, right? Maybe even sooner than mm -hmm. we think. Okay. But that being said, um, yep. you know, I think a lot of these things, like, you, you always have to take the perspective of time, right? It's going to be like either a gradual, right. I would argue an exponential shift towards this, this future, but you know, in the current yep. stage, in the current time, it's very hard to imagine. But I think that that is my prediction for the long-term future. <laughs> I mean, I would, okay. If I had to say right now, whether I like black and white agree or disagree, yeah, I'm leaning towards agree. But I, I think I'd have to think about like almost industry by industry because like mm -hmm. chemical engineering, I think you're you're right. I think that will be automated. Yeah. Um, man. But then even art, like you're saying everyone will be artists, everyone will be creative. Mm -hmm. But I see like AI generated art, right? Mm -hmm. So would... <laughs> I guess, yeah. If you remove, yeah. Like, okay. if you remove cool. all the tasks of a human being, right? The, old, the last remaining task that a human has to do is creative expression, right? This is why like YouTube is so interesting because I think that like all YouTubers or content creators are really like all we're doing either being a, by being an entrepreneur or a creator is like kind of living in the future in this sense where you're really making money or you're making a career being yourself, right? It's like the ultimate creative authentic form of expression. And, you know, there's a whole class of people like, you know, the people that like what I used to be essentially before I started entrepreneurship, where we are like, we are at the tail end or we're living in the present time or even in the past, right. Where you're still like performing these menial tasks that you don't necessarily want to do. Um, and I think that like the reason why it's so fascinating or like, it's so interesting to be a content creator. And then also like being an entrepreneur is that like all the things that you build, like, the startup that I'm building is really like an expression of like the intersection of my personal interests. Right. And it's like authentically who I am. Like I can't work like under somebody and do something that like is not my own. Right. And I'm sure you guys feel the same way mm. with both your content creation and then also like businesses that you start. Right. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll throw in my two cents here just because it, this is a very interesting topic and, and we're running a little bit short on time. Uh, mm. So I'll keep this short. Um, I think I think that world, the 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 ultimate world that you that you've pictured for us here today is is a world that um, doesn't have risk, 
mm-hmm. in that sense. And I'm not sure if that's if that's possible. So I, so I'm going to go the opposite way from Matt and say that doesn't agree. And let me explain why mm-hmm. it doesn't have risk. Because if you're able to pursue whatever you wanted to do, that means you would have no opportunity cost. Therefore, mm-hmm. there would be no risk in any of your decisions into what you would want to do. And I don't I can't fathom or imagine a world without the sure. the the need to do something over the other and having no opportunity cost and just pursuing my sole desire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't I don't I don't know if we can achieve that, but it's it's I think what you've what you've laid out for us is like an ultimate um, like idealist utopia, mm-hmm. right? That, well, that, that that would be like the end goal. Actually, Nick, I don't, I'm thinking about it more. I don't know if it'd be a utopia. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll wrap up this part of the, the podcast in a second. So, oops. Because um, I know, yeah, like Nick said, we're running short on time. But I'm thinking, like, I think if everything was automated and everyone was a solopreneur, I think our psyche would change. Like, our, mm-hmm. like psychologically, like, why do we derive happiness from YouTube, from, from entertainment, from the arts, right? It's because it allows us to maybe escape our day, daily life working at a job that we might not be passionate about. but And that's why we give it value, right? Because it allows us to leave that world, maybe. But if you remove that world from ever existing, that that menial job that you, mm-hmm. that you like really just don't like, then your existence is basically just, you can do whatever you want, right? But then when you can do whatever you want, does that, do those arts, does entertainment still have the same value? Or, you know, does everything just get commoditized? Like, like I'm thinking, how would our motivations change? How would what we put value on change if, you know, I think to a degree, the things we don't like doing make the things we like more important to us. Mm-hmm. And now there's nothing that we don't like doing that we have to do mm-hmm. in this yeah. world, if I'm understanding okay. correctly. I'll but, say this. I'll say yeah, this. And we'll leave it there. <laughs> well, let's, let's, have, let's let him oh, rebuttal. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm not, I'm not going to rebuttal because I know we were short on time, but, uh, you know, I love talking well, about Superman. We can keep I going think. if you want to keep going. I, it's up to you guys. It's up to you guys. Um, how how are you doing, Nick? Uh, I mean, we, we, yeah, we can, we can keep going. Uh, but I, okay, I just, okay. I guess I just let's let's say, let Dylan say his piece. I just get, I wanted to say that, like, um, you know, I love talking about Super. And, like, I think what we're building is, like, super helpful for the creator economy. But in terms of, like, podcast material... I would love to have a conversation about this type of shit. Like just like you know, more yeah. like philosophical, more like high level understanding of like why why the creator economy rips, right? Like why is it so interesting? Like why yeah. are we all trying to start up in this space? Like more higher level stuff. Um, but yeah, I yeah. mean like this, this like I think like super is great. I think that like what, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think our, our business idea is very good and it's good to go into the details. But like this stuff is like, I think what truly interests me. <laughs> right, cool. right. And that that's makes sense because that's what you're building for. And yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to, well, maybe we'll have you back on. Um, I would love yeah. to continue this conversation for sure. I like these kinds of conversations as well. And I think Nick does too. Um, but yes, to refocus again, guys, check out Super. Um, we're going to tell the audience where they can find you and find super. Then after that, we're going to do our lightning round founder framework questions. We ask these questions to every guest we have on our podcast. They're going to be super fast. Like give us one word, two word answers, but first where can everybody find you and where can everyone find super? Yeah. So, uh, I have a link tree 
and it's uh l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash dylan d-y-a d-y-l-a-n d-u-y-v-u so dylan d-u-v-u um it's that's my link tree so all my stuff is on there and then uh if you want to learn more about super obviously we'd love to have you guys uh you know come on board and also just like talk to you guys so um you can go to go super.io in order to find our website and then we're also on twitter uh at raise super so that's that's where you can find us sweet awesome guys so thank you dylan go super.io go yeah. super.io that's the url right so definitely check them out guys uh they're in i think in a wait list phase right now hopefully they launch soon because i'm super excited to see what it looks like um and with that let's get into these this lightning round so again i'm going to ask you questions give us like one to three word answers so sure. who is your role model uh naval and peter Thiel. what is your last meal on earth uh sushi Okay. Hustle culture, yay or nay? Yay. Sigma grind set all day. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) What's the number one skill set that's helped you get to where you are today? Uh, I I wouldn't say it's a skill set, but I would say like risk tolerance, like just the ability to just, you know, jump off these cliffs and uh, make these leaps of faith. Mm. Mm. If you weren't working on super, what would you be building instead? Uh, I think, uh, I don't have an idea. I put all my, all, all my marbles on super. Uh, but if I wasn't building on super, I'd probably be building in the web three space. Got it. Number one lesson you've learned. Lessons I've learned. Um, prioritization is everything. One founder told me at ODX, like starting making a startup is easy. It's just like you do the right things at the right time over and over and over again. And you know, that lesson is a lot deeper than I think most people realize. All right, guys, reflect on that one. <laughs> and then lastly, what is your favorite book? Um, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. It changed my life. Guys, Got go it. read that. Yeah, I know he may be a bit of a controversial figure these days, uh, but that book is, I've read it. And I think if anyone's in startups, you have to read it. Um, I think it's even fantastic. As creator, even uh, as know. a creator, I think we should read it as well. Yeah, I actually have it right sitting right here in the back in my background. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. guys can see it on the podcast, but in my videos, you can always see it back there. So, yeah, again, thank you so much, Dylan, for coming on the podcast. We covered a range of things, and hopefully we thank have you, you back on again to have the more philosophical <laughs> conversation. Again, go check out Super at gosuper.io. I'm super excited for it. I think a lot of creators are, um, and we will definitely see you around. Thank you, yeah. Dylan. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. Peace.